We're back on news and views, and we're just keeping the train yeah, bumper music rolling. We're keeping rolling. the trains going. <laughs> Abby is so amused by the train talk today. Uh, we're going to shift gears. We're going to leave the train behind. We've left the station. Uh, the train is rolling down the track, uh, and we're going to shift gears. We're going to talk a little bit here about uh, EMS, and particularly about EMS in rural areas. It is uh, all across the nation. Uh, it is It is a big problem, and I think no matter where you are, you would agree that when you know you dial nine one one, you expect some level of service uh, and to be there at, in an appropriate amount of time, uh, and that is not always the case. Uh, and I have been uh, on a task force that the state legislature of Minnesota has set up. We've been traveling around the state and we've been listening to concerns about EMS. Uh, some very specific to rural, but there are things that cross over both rural and urban. Same kind of things. And, and one of those things um, is funding. And we know that if Medicare, Medicaid reimbursement was a little bit higher, that would solve, at least on the financial side, some of the problems. There are other problems. I can talk more about that. But I also know that uh, at the federal level, we've had a good partner in this uh, with Senator Tina Smith, who has also been convening some meetings about uh, rural EMS, too, and, and kind of connecting with some of the work we've been doing in Minnesota. And Senator Smith has joined us on the line. So good morning, Senator Smith. Well, good morning, Senator. It's so nice to be with you today. Yeah. And I'm sorry that I won't be able to participate in the train conversation, <laughs> but that's okay. Well, well, we can circle back <laughs> around to that if you like. I mean, Abby's dying for more train talk, so. <laughs> no, I really, I really do appreciate, though, you focusing on uh, rural emergency medical services and how important they are. And I'm, I'm really glad to have a chance to talk with you about it today. Sure. So, so what, you know, what are the, you know, at the federal level, um, you know, what do you think the chances are that, that, that there'll be some movement on this and, and something can get, you know, done to, to improve, you know, the funding, particularly around rural EMS? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, so first of all, I just want to say that you are exactly right. That when, no matter where you live in Minnesota, when you dial 9-1 because you have an emergency, you need to trust that somebody is going to get to you as soon as you possibly can, as soon as they possibly can, to help you, whether you have, you know, whatever your, your emergency is. And, and we know from the work that you've been doing on this statewide task force and the work that I've been doing, hosting meetings around the state and talking to people, that this is really at risk. We just did a very interesting discussion uh, just um, down the road in Barnesville, um, hearing about the challenges that they have trying to keep those services going. And, you know, one of the problems is that um, a lot of, or not problems, but one of the just situations are that many of these um, smaller EMS services have been kind of driven by volunteers. And the volunteers are getting older and they aren't as able or as interested in doing that work anymore. And then that puts even more financial pressures on these um, on these um, rural um, service providers that are, as you say, struggling to not get the reimbursement for the services that they're providing. So here's what I've been working on. First, it's been so helpful to listen to Minnesotans and listen to these providers right there on the ground and hear what they need. Um, I've been working on legislation that would go after one pretty specific problem that would make a big difference. So people might not realize that if you send a, if an ambulance comes to your home and thankfully they don't need to take you to the emergency room or to the hospital, um, that the Medicare doesn't reimburse that um, driver or that drive at all for that service. And so that becomes a big financial um, hole for these um, providers. So one bill that I'm on is 
just to fix that problem and say you ought to at least reimburse people, even if you don't end up taking somebody back to the emergency room. Right. And and we know that that is and this 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 was kind of one of those eye opening things to me when I was on this task force was that like to me, like I'm never going to call an ambulance unless I'm like. I really like, I, you know, I've got a severed limb or something like, like I'm like really waiting, <laughs> but a lot of people, they are caught the an ambulance, you know, they're going out on runs that maybe they don't need an ambulance mm-hmm. for that, but they don't have another mm-hmm. way. And they're relying on that ambulance service. And, and particularly with volunteers, you know, at two in the morning, like, yeah, if there's an accident, you're, they're going to come and they want to be there. They don't necessarily want to be like, uh, a medical Uber at two in the morning when you're a volunteer ambulance service yeah. and then add on that yeah. they're, you know, if they go and they're like, you don't need it, then they're not getting paid for it. Yeah. Well, and you know, you, that's exactly, you put your finger on it. Uh, you know, many of the people that are needing services are older people and that's why there's such a high percentage of the reimbursement that is coming through Medicare and, um, and, it might be their only thing that they can think of to do. I mean, if you can picture it, if you're living there, if you're by yourself and you, um, you know, you've fallen and you, or you have, you know, you don't know what's wrong. The only thing you know to do is to dial 911. And so of course it's always good news if somebody doesn't have to go to the hospital, but um, that is, that then becomes a need for reimbursement. And often the, you know, the EMS paramedic can give folks the help that they need and they needed that help. But at the end of the day, you still have to have a service that can support itself. And the idea is that if Medicare could reimburse at more levels that were closer to the cost of the care, then less of the burden is going to fall on local taxpayers, which is what's happening right now. Sure. And, you know, one of the other ideas that, you know, kind of came up in in our discussions that we kicked around was the idea of, Mm -hmm. of like kind of a shuttle person, like somebody who's out there. Uh, and if there's oh, a call yeah. that they can go and maybe assess, is it just something that, you know, do they need a little help with their, you know, adjusting their medications or something they can do on site? And then and then the mm-hmm. ambulance doesn't have to show up. But then they're in the same boat where the the funding, uh, the reimbursement money for that is really low, too. So would, would this federal program also maybe bring in bring in some of those? Because that could possibly be, you know, a way also just to increase improve rural health care if somebody was checking in on some of these people uh, that might be a way to go so right. would, this, would this also aid them well it, i mean it could we'd have to um, we'd have to figure that out but this is what i love about what we're doing in minnesota with this statewide task force is that you all you know the, the solution to this is going to come partly from the state level and partly from the federal level and it's going to be local innovation that's leading the way too. So we, the, the communicating and the back and forth that we're doing is really important to coming up with solutions. And uh, as you all finish your work at the statewide task force, I'm looking forward to figuring out, okay, where can the federal government best plug in to um, help to, um, you know, help to solve this problem and be a good partner. Sure. What, one of the, you know, one of the other areas we were looking at, and I know you've done some work on, on telemental health, but also, yeah. Um, I know there's some other people who've got some kind of innovative ways on telehealth that possibly also could do the same kind of thing where instead of maybe mm-hmm. calling that ambulance, there's a telehealth thing that they could check in with with a provider there. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah it, that's a great I think that's a great idea, Rob. It's a great idea. And we you know, be, during the pandemic, we made such leaps in innovation around telehealth and telemental health, getting virtual care. It can be a lifesaver for people who literally can't leave their home. 
And one of the things that I've been working on is to make sure that those waivers that we got to allow telemental health and other telehealth to work because of the pandemic public health emergency, that those don't expire and we don't lose the opportunity to continue to do that. That is, um, I think that could be another great innovation for how to, yeah, help people get the what get their needs met without necessarily bringing an ambulance with lights flashing when uh, that is um, just not necessary. All right, and I know at the state level we did a similar thing, and and I still feel and and. Do you feel this way, too, at the national level? I feel like there's still a lot of things from the pandemic where we're like, oh, that worked really well. Let's do that. Or that didn't work totally. well. Let's, let's yeah. change that. It feels like that's still a lot of the mm-hmm. work we're doing. I think that's really right. And, you know, for I mean, one thing that I think of, which is really obvious, I think, is not not related to healthcare specifically, but the improvements that we made at the federal level with the child tax credit helped put families on a financially stronger footing and it lowered child poverty by nearly 50%. And now that child tax credit went away after the pandemic and we're working to try to bring it back at the federal level. And of course, at the state level, uh, you, the governor and uh, the legislature have been doing really good work to have an improved um, state uh, child tax credit. Great example is something we learned, we, we saw what worked, and we need to figure out ways of continuing it. Right. And I, and I feel like, you know, at least that is the one benefit of the pandemic. It showed it for the for good or bad. It showed places within mm-hmm. our healthcare system where where we needed to do a improvement. And then it also showed some things that were, you know, maybe we hadn't tried before and were working. And so those were, were good things to, to come out of. Um, can I can I quickly shift gears here for one thing? Uh, obviously. Uh, we sure. we avoided a government shutdown, <laughs> so ha- happy about that. Um, but we, you know, um, we just it's now with the deadlines. What is it? The twenty second. Now we've we've kicked it out a couple of weeks. Um, is this is this our future? Do we are we just going to be keep going through this every every month, every couple well, of months? You know. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm I'm sort of an old-fashioned girl. I worked at the local level, and then I worked at the state level, where you had to balance your budget every year, mm-hmm. and you had to um, pass your budget every year. And so I will admit to you that I get a bit frustrated when we go through all of this drama every year. Um, I just got home this morning. I flew back to Minnesota this morning after the vote to uh, kind of keep things running, which was very, very good. But the other good news is that we have reached agreement. You know, the federal budget is comes down to 12 big budget bills, and we have reached an agreement between the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, Democrats and Republicans, about those bills, and so uh, the first six bills. And so we're going to pass those next week. Now, it might take longer than I like, and it might be messier than I would hope for, but I think we'll get those passed. And then we have the last group of them uh, that we need, the next six which we need to pass by the end of March. And, you know, I'm optimistic. I'll tell you that how I see it is that there have been there has been a strong bipartisan effort, Republicans and Democrats passing these bills, negotiating these bills. And it's been a bit chaotic over in the U.S. House, you know, because they made an agreement and then their speaker got deposed and then they got a new speaker. And, and then that speaker has been having uh, challenges, you know, getting, you know, figuring out what they want to do. But I think we're in a pretty good place right now, and I'm optimistic we'll get it all done by the end of March. That's good. Finally. <laughs> I, li- I like that that's good. I like the sound, you know, because obviously that, you know, we, we sometimes I think, you know, the government is kind of this nebulous thing. But we, you know, there are real world ramifications 
Um, you know, oh, yeah. besides yeah. like just national That's parks right. closing of things that, you know, there's things with the farm bill, there's things, uh, you know, all kinds yeah. of things that you don't necessarily, maybe the everyday person doesn't see, but for a lot of Americans, it's a huge impact. That's right. I mean, if you, if you're a farmer and you want to go to your local FSA office and get, um, you know, have a conversation or get some help. You want that person to be there and not furloughed because of the government shutdown. And you definitely want to make sure that the Department of Agriculture has um, the money to, um, you know, give you, you know, to, to help you at the FSA office. And, of course, then the bigger picture is to make sure that crop insurance and the, the conservation programs and EQUIP and CSP, all those things are getting paid as they need to. And if you are, um, you know, calling the IRS to get make sure you understand what's going on with your taxes. You want somebody there who can answer the phone and give you a good answer. And actually, there's been great improvement on that over the last year, which I'm happy to report. So yeah, there's lots of real world ways that um, um, that, that, that the work of the federal government has an impact on your life. And we want it to be a positive impact. Absolutely. And same thing, state government too. Always yeah. those, those things that come up, as you know, uh, from your, your your role previously, too, as lieutenant governor. So you know all those things as well. So, all right, Senator Smith, thank you so much for the time this morning. As always, it is very good to talk to you. Um, hope to see you up here in Moorhead uh, at some point here in the not-too-distant future. I look, yeah. Oh, I right. look forward to I look forward to seeing you soon. And um, thanks, to, thanks so much for your work on the— um, the EMS task force. I think it's really important. You as well. And, and, and a good partnership, I think, with the federal government will help a lot. So thank, thanks so much.